my name is Derek. I serve as an elder here at Church in the Square. Um, Jason is down in Mississippi with his family. He's not off the hook. He's preaching. Um, so he's, he's down at his, his home church, or at least the church his dad calls home, his parents call home. Um, yeah, so uh, it's grateful to gather here with you guys today. Um, you know, walk by faith. You see these chairs. You know, set up for success. Set up for extras. Um, but no, it's, it's really good to gather. Um, uh, by God's grace, uh, we will, uh, I'll be able to articulate something uh, that is of uh, the Spirit. So, um, if you can believe it, this time, a year ago, we were still virtual. I think it's, uh, it's impossible to believe that's true um, after, after these past couple years. Um, as we gather today uh, for the first time of this different mold, different, closing doors on things of the past, relationships, feelings, emotions. We'll try to explain that this is the year to just fill in the blank. But for followers, for folks like us that say Jesus is Lord, it's Sunday. It's the day we gather and worship a collection of humans, and we're called the body. This Sunday, today, we live out, as we are called to do, and the writers of Hebrews says, not neglecting to meet together. We're right here in our space to worship with God of the universe, to fill our souls with teachings that point us to the one constant and consistent one, a man that was born last week, a savior we long for in the ages to come, and a God that draws near to us each day and desires us to seek him in all that we do, that we may be full of whom he is this year. And yet, while the world is turning over, scratching, clawing, yearning, fighting, for something new or old or unique or unknown to cling to this year, we sit in real time in real space knowing that he is God. He's not changed. King Jesus still rules over our lives yesterday in 2022 and today in 2023. So only in God's providence today, the first day of the new year, does our Roman series take us to an intersection of where the world is on New Year's Day, every year on New Year's Day, and where followers of Christ remain. This intersection of an old way and a new way. The intersection of a new heart and an old heart. So today, January 1st, 2023, we're going to talk about the same Jesus, the same God, the same way, the same light, and the same new heart our God. A short time like this. Jesus gives us a new heart. Our new, ha our new heart has new habits. Our new habits cultivate a new community. I'll pray. I'll read our scripture. We'll get into it. Gracious Father. Whatever is not from you, Lord, let it fall away and be forgotten. Whatever is from me, God, let it be forgotten. God, let your spirit infect this moment, this time and space, God. God, I pray uh, that we, Lord, could become today, only today and the next day, each day at a time, more like you and less like ourselves, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Romans 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Receiving a new heart from Jesus sounds like the perfect message for the first day of a new year, huh? In many ways, it's exactly what we need to hear. That because of original sin, we were born into darkness, and it's only because of grace that we're saved from ourselves and eternal separation and the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross that gave way for us today on earth in Logan Square to actually change our hearts towards each other. To be sure, there's much to say about receiving a new heart that is drawn to gospel-centered truths and beliefs. Like a new heart that glorifies King Jesus and not ourself and puts us in relationship with God of the Bible so that we become less like ourselves and more like him. 
See, I wish it was easy and quick and clean as the prophet Ezekiel describes. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In truth, it is all those things. But in practice and change and growth, there's time and nuance and complexities and joy and hope and discomfort that comes from your old heart being transformed into a new heart. And today, Paul is helping to articulate this heart change not only in self and habit, but in relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, whom have called upon King Jesus and said, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, rule my life, change my heart, for I am weak, you are strong. So right here is where we get our new year, new me, Instagram quote. It's not about you. It's not about me. This new heart Jesus promises isn't about isn't just about you and your isolated relationship with the Most High. This heart is exhorting you to use all of your spiritual resources to never give up on your brothers and sisters. And as Tim Keller puts it in his commentary, must keep our hope, be patient in all trouble we meet, and address all this with prayer. So let's say it again. Romans 12, 11. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Oh, if I was just not slothful this year. Oh, if I could be fervent in the spirit this year. Oh, Lord, if I could serve you more this year. Oh, God, if I could rejoice in hope. I see modeled by my brothers and sisters this year. Oh, if I could be patient alongside my group with trials and suffering. Oh, God, if I could just pray constantly over the toil and plight of this year with a spirit on fire for what Jesus desires and not weaving my watts into it. Oh Lord, why doesn't my heart desire these things first? Paul gives us a playbook. He gives us the checklist, the tweet, the memory verse, the Devo or any other new year, new me, new you, new us strategy to use this new heart alongside your brothers and sisters to remove more of ourselves this year by the power of God, not yourself. You need not white knuckle it this year because he's captured your heart and is infecting you with a fervent spirit towards himself. You need not plan and execute better because his dwelling within you will align your service to himself. You must not be anxious for tomorrow because his people, your brothers and sisters, have a hope that remains uncracked with tribulation. Lastly, he's given himself to communicate directly with and offers us access through prayer that never returns void. You see, we think we aren't slothful. We live in a city, there's, if there's anything we're not, it's lazy. I mean, we, you and I, we know the challenges of just driving to park somewhere, right? We can hustle around this city very well. Yet I'm afraid we're believing a lie that's woven into our hearts that Paul is exposing here. We go all day. We have side hustles. We never say no to social events. But our Netflix algorithm knows more of who we are than our brothers and sisters do and who the Lord does. We aren't in awe of God because he's just part. He's another piece of my identity, not my whole identity or my entire being or my entire mindset and my way. We struggle to be fervent in spirit because it's just another action or face we need to execute or put on. 
The Spirit of God is, the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. And this should boil over without thought or question or consideration. Aligning ourselves to the things of the Spirit will produce Spirit-led actions and decisions. It will remove the curated spiritualness we cling to. We are hand-raised hand when Manny throws down, but haven't told our coworkers we have group Wednesday nights. We make reservations a month out for brunch, but we can't find time to serve our neighbors. See, it's not about, it's not that you are powerless. God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. He is in you today. It's that fervent or boiling over spirit that's dwelling in you and being curated only in spaces that fit the mold. Choose to plug into him the next time and not you. So this year you set a path forward, pray. When you set that path forward, pray. And pray some more. Then ask God. Ask him again. Then pray again. After that, pray with your group. Then pray again. Before you leave, pray. Pray in your room. Pray on the road. Pray before that meeting. Pray after that meeting. Pray on the way to school. Pray during. Pray with those who need. Pray with those who have. Pray with each other. Pray for help. Pray for guidance. Be constant in prayer with the knowledge that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Be constant in prayer. This is a battle I think we struggle with in a unique position in this, in this body. So how does this new heart work? The Bible talks a lot about this, and we do here on Sundays, in the group, and throughout the weekly reading guides. See, coming to faith in my early 20s and lacking a foundation of biblical verbiage and general fancy church language, when we discuss the new heart, is always a bit of a head-scratcher. Obviously, my heart functioned fine and understood there wasn't physical heart-swapping in churches, but what time and discipleship has shown me for just me, and not a heart aligned with things of the Bible. Or the, or the desires of someone else, specifically Jesus, rather solely led by me. My thoughts, my passions, my desires, my hope, my identity, just myself, just Derek, extremely narrow in scope and rich in this world. See, with a new heart that is secured in Jesus begins to desire the things of with whom gave you the new heart. Let me say that again. A new heart that is secured in Jesus begins to desire the things of the one whom gave you the new heart. Here in Romans, Paul gives us of these, practical and ap these practical and applicable habits that help shape a new heart. This is direct counsel from Paul, which starts actually in verse 9, that says, Let love be genuine. Ab abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Here, like we saying earlier, we build our life upon a upon your love. It's a firm foundation. Genuine love is hard to come by, but what Jesus models, but Jesus models is without blemish. Abhor or hate what is evil is difficult this side of heaven. We're drawn to darkness and fruits of this world, and we must be constant in armoring ourselves with the dark cloak of Jesus. Arming ourselves with the cloak of Jesus. Holding fast to what is good requires spiritual discipline and steadfastness, like we see in Jesus in the face of the devil. A mistake here is to take what God created, all things, and make it central in your heart or mind, when, which then becomes where your heart rests for comfort, for healing, for security. Those false goods or gods will turn into dust and always leave you needing more. They return void. They are actually dead and gone. 
So if you're like me, I need to confess that you already feel anxious about 2023, chomping at the bit to look back at 2022, see if you've accomplished your goals or came up short, and then super pumped to look ahead to 2023 to map out this year's goals and desires over and over and over again. Because I can tell you, nothing of myself is fulfilled in this list, and that is true grace from God. So here's some practical advice, as Paul gave us, for a way in which an old heart operates and a new heart should function. We have new passions about spiritual things that honor the Lord. Our old heart loves physical, loves self, physical things and consumption. Our new heart loves the, what the Lord loves. He loves eternal things. We have a new hope which gives us joy about the future. Our old heart loves tangible and instant gratifications for a quick hit of joy. Our new heart loves the Lord and trusts his care and providence now, during, and always. We have patience which endures through suffering. Our old heart loves comfort, avoids all suffering, and loves isolation. Our new heart loves God's will, trusts God through suffering, and invites fellow believers in. We have a new faith that manifests in constant prayer. Our old heart loves entertainment, quick distraction, and one-liners. Our new heart loves communing, communicating with God, and discerning his word. Lastly, we have this new heart, these new desires, this new way forward. We have a new way to apply this new heart to our daily lives. As we begin to align our habits with Paul's direct and clear counsel, then we begin to see new hearts cultivate a new community and by God's grace a new world. This third way forward in all things, this way of Jesus and not us, not you or me or church in the square, Jesus' way. Here's where we find joy as a collection of believers that desires to be less like themselves and more like Jesus. Cultivating a new community is not a wise marketing strategy or a way we at Church in the Square try to grow number, but it's the tangible outpouring and consequence of obedience of a collection of changing hearts. Over time, our old selves begin to lay down and the community around us simply sees you as son or daughter of the Most High. Not just Derek the husband, the father, the salesman, the prideful, the adulterer, the arrogant, but the community sees me, son of the living God. See, here's where the darkness is pushed way back because we can see the line between old and new heart. This is where we will see more of Jesus inside each other, our brothers and sisters, rather than themselves. Right here is where Paul is writing to the Romans to be fire with the spirit, full of hope, in the middle of tribulation, and always in contact with his Father, our Father, God. Ten, let's discuss three aspects of community that are vital to the habits, the health, and the holiness of new community rooted in a new heart made available through King Jesus. Fully entering community, cultivating community, and remaining in community. Fully entering community seems easy at first blush. It's go to church, join a group, begin walking with those who proclaim the name of Jesus, it pains me to think about how broken this process actually has become or plays out across the church. For some of you, this has never been a barrier, and you have been able to show up in church gathering, group, or Christian community without angst or effort. These spaces have been safe. They've been life-giving. You feel cared and seen. Others have experienced separation and deep pain from fellow brothers and sisters, even here, maybe in this room, even at Church in the Square. I want to make it clear that this should never be the case. 
You should never, you should not experience isolation, abuse, or hatred from any fellow Christians or brothers in your body. Yet it happens. It's going to happen. And I wish I could snatch it away from those that have had to endure those pains in the name of Jesus. But what's true about entering community now and forever with zeal, with fervent spirit, is that it will cost you something and it won't be perfect. Let me say it again. To fully enter community and experience the fruits of gathering as a collection of believers that proclaim Jesus is Lord and not themselves will cost you something. Cost you your time. You'll have to arrange your week to make Sunday morning gatherings, weeknight group, and needs that arise within your community. It'll cost you financially. Dollars over donuts somewhere, you will incur a financial cost to be with your group, to be with your church body, and your Lord. It will cost you relationships. Fully aligning yourself to the things of the Lord will expose broken and fractured relationships that just need to be let go. It will cost you, it will cause you to suffer. You will. Yet these costs are but rubbish, as Paul describes to the church in Philippi. Paul says, I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. The cost is not the measuring system. The cost is not the measuring stick of with which we should recognize. It's that the work is finished and that we all have or endure in the, li in the, in the life to come is already secured through Jesus' blood. Paul knew this well. These things that I describe as costs will not be coming with because there is no room prepared for these things that I described as a cost will not be coming with because there's already a room prepared for you with our Father. One of my biggest fears as an elder is that I become the reason someone walks away, they leave, they experience something I say or do or act as anti-gospel. My group reminds me that I'm not Jesus. They remind me that I cannot save. They remind me that this side of heaven is going to be messy. These are truths, not opinions that help remind me that I am not any more important than anyone else in this walk or in this room or in this neighborhood or in this city. Without fully extending ourselves and committing to each other, we are unable to receive the truths we cannot see because of our own blindness. God has given each of us unique ears to hear and eyes to see. Allow uh, each other to hear you and to see you fully by fully entering the community and bearing the cost so that you can be reminded each week you are not alone. You have family. You're loved. And that you're safe to glorify God with each at time. Planting seeds in good soil to watch them flourish as a collection of believers and not in a silo of self is a process. It won't happen after your first Sunday. It won't happen after your second month of group. Jesus walked with the disciples for three years. Think about that. Three years. God spent time with them to model, disciple, and teach. He's God. He needed less than a second to tell them everything he needed to tell them. But he took three years instead. Be patient. Come to cultivate and plant seeds and stay away from the silo of self. A common way I've experienced the silo of self in group and walking in community is this faux presentation of self post pre enduring struggle, tribulation, decision, or prayer. Let me explain. 
When we come to our groups each week to learn about Jesus, walk together in life, and disciple each other, we need each person present, both physically and spiritually. Meaning when you don't show up to your group or the gathering, you're stealing an opportunity from the body and from yourself to see Jesus more clearly. We can't see the way you are living, nor can you see the way I am living without being in proximity with each other. Does that make sense? I know the burdens of life, work, kids, commitments, shame, guilt, depression, anxiety, and time are real and difficult to manage. Trust me. I was with a couple this week. I said without a blink that the reason I've remained a group leader was to keep group always meeting in my house so I wouldn't have to deal with travel and kids and sleep and logistics. My leading is rooted in a bit of selfishness. Fair? Spades a spade. Without this couple's proximity and them sharing the difficulty, confess this. Does that make sense? Hall, though I say I'm Christian, but no one is ever actually around me, and I never actually share myself if they're not around me. One more example. And the one I believe is the scariest Christian self-silo is this group-going, vulnerable, heart-changing mess that happens when we, hold our changing, when we withhold our changing heart from those around us in this thing we do where we present a fixed self to our group or church body, but did the entire thing sans our group or church. Let me, let me say it again. It's this mess that happens when we are withholding our heart, changing hearts from those around us where we present a fixed self to our group or church body, but we did the entire thing without our church body. Track with me here. I'm positive you experienced this. I'm positive you've likely done this. You have a sin that God's exposed in your heart. Praise God. God is sanctifying you. And by his grace, you recognize it and begin to root it out of yourself. Sunday sermons are speaking to this sin. Your podcasts and devos are exposing it quite regularly. Little conversations here and there are nibbling around the edges of where you're trying to root out this sin and become more like Jesus. You sit in group and you share a lot of words about a thing, just a little thing, but it's undefined. You wrap it in Christianese and fancy Bible words, dunk it in a bit of religion jelly, slam it into this isolation pie, and now you have this beautiful little pie baked in shame that you actually desire to be let free of, but convinced yourself it's easier to keep this pie on the counter. Group and church body knows what's baked into your pie, so you feel good about it. Yet no one knows. And now this silo has run a six-month course, and you're ready to share. Now here is where I usually fall out of my seat at group. It's your turn to share. You explain this journey you've been on, to root out the sin in your life, and you've done it. You share the journey with great detail, and now in this little shame pie ingredients are shown so nicely to the group. It looks more like this coy advertisement of growth and maturity. Then you weave some Jesus into the story, and you have joy and elation for your God, and you're back on track. The journey alone, and now you fixed it alone. Cultivating a community requires us to live outwardly and open-handed with our entire beings. Not fractions of yourself, not just pieces of you, not half-truths or generalizations, but actual factual stuff that makes you you. Share your desires as they arise. Share your fears as they arise. Share your triumphs and victories. Share your shame and guilt. Share the weird thoughts you can't figure out, but you want to bring them up anyway and talk about them. Share your whole self. 
Remaining in community is the result of a community that applies their new heart to the lives of those they are in proximity with. This shouldn't be a goal or a grinding out of sorts to say, to stay. We remain or stay because it's fruitful. The Lord is producing fruit from a vine that is rooted in the things that are perfect and pleasing to God. The roots are woven together throughout the soil and the other roots so that you can't tell which root it is their own or that of another. The roots need each other to thrive, to live, to grow larger and deeper. They drink from the same water as each other and share in nutrients without selfishness or power. Each root placed exactly where the Lord would have it. So each root, each fruit produced, and each vine would thrive in accordance to his will. You see, this becomes the soil where new community that is entering can trust and find refuge in community. That culture is that of Jesus and that relays on, in that culture is that of Jesus and that relies on each other to be fed, to be shaped, to be discomforted and to grow in the likeness of the potter who made all things. This is where the gospel is the most tangible for us to experience. It takes this term gospel and puts a boatload of flesh on it. Because without question, we need the finished work of Jesus who literally walked on this earth, who actually died on the cross, who really rose from the dead, who truly went to heaven, who is actually still reigning at the right hand of God. This Jesus is the only reason why a body of believers can become something that is not right, that is not left, but a third way, the way of King Jesus, and be seen in his church, not ours. As we remain a community, we see each other more fully for whom we are in Jesus rather than themselves. It allows time to reveal the character of whom the Lord is creating and not that we are creating. Without question, with imperfection and complexity and nuance, but with shared foundation, Jesus can open our eyes to see each other, brothers and sisters, and not competition or enemy or prey. And when you step out, and when you step out of line, and you start acting a fool, because we will, of whom you are in Christ, fellow brothers and sisters, see you with a lens that says, I know the heart of this woman. I know the heart of this man. And this is not in accordance with whom I know to be true because they are in Christ Jesus. This is a grace we extend to each other. As we remain, as we remain in community, as we remain, we need not jump to judgment at first questioning. We need not step into protection of what is being exposed. We need not stay isolated with a thought or desire because our brothers and sisters will receive us as family first and offer us the grace that we've received freely. To stay means to choose each other, church, and by his grace, we need not be the ones to achieve it. We need not be the ones to redeem it or restore it because the good news today about January 1st, 2023, is that what was true 2,000 years ago, this body, this community, here's what Paul writes to the church in Philippi in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything be but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me pray. Gracious Father, what I need to be reminded today, like yesterday, and like tomorrow, is that I'm not central to your story. That I'm not the one weaving and becoming and doing this better than anyone else that we here in this church aren't more special than anyone else, God. God, I pray as you set us out for this year, Lord, that we be reminded, Lord, of where we rest in our minds and our hearts. Lord, teach us to not be slothful. Give us a fervent spirit. Teach us to rejoice in hope that of Christ Jesus. And Father God, let us be constant in prayer so that we are utilizing the spirit that is dwelling in us to make decisions, to act, to care, and to love. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.